0: Let me pray for our time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And then, Father, as we just said, we need your help. We need your help by the power of the Holy Spirit, that uh, we need the Spirit to subdue us, to deliver us from our, our stubbornness, even as your children, that we might see the beauty of your word, see the beauty of Christ, embrace him and embrace his ways and reflect his glory as we're conformed more and more to his image. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll read uh, Hebrews uh, 3, starting with verse 1, and I'll, I'll read on till uh, four to the end of 4.2. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands lest, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. As I've said over the course of uh, this study through Hebrews. Hebrews is a very sobering book. It doesn't pull punches. It tells us exactly what we need to hear. Uh, it's, it's just one degree or another. It is addressing a group of people that in some sense are behind. Their growth is stunted. They should have been further along. And that's just a sad, sad commentary. Particularly for the people of God. And yet, he he doesn't let it go. He doesn't try to whitewash it. He tells them point blank, they're in great danger, and not just of being stunted, but of falling away from the living God. That they would not know the rest that Christ has purchased for his people. Now, I can't explain everything today, and we'll pick this up in two weeks, um, just by sidebar, I want to encourage you. I know it's difficult to hear Hebrew Psalms, Hebrew Psalms. Uh, that's, you're being stretched. Uh, and I've heard Brian's sermons, and you're being blessed by his sermons, I trust. But it is difficult to switch back and forth. But for some reason, that's what the Lord has for you and for us. For our good. And our God is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, so they're all connected in some sense, all through Christ. So anyhow, I just want to encourage you. I know it's, not been, it's probably not easy to go Okay, are we going to hear from Psalms this week or Hebrews? But for some reason, that's what the Lord has. And it's for our good. So you're getting two books for the price of one, it looks like, in some sense. But in all seriousness, there is this danger of these people because they don't see Jesus clearly that they might fall away. Now, I'm sure that in your own life, in the course of your Christian life, you had people who walked with you for a while in the Lord. As far as I know, I came to Christ in a youth ministry. And I can remember gathering with a bunch of guys who were all excited about Christ. But as time went on, over through the years, it's like I knew some guys were moving on in Christ and some were not. I even went and called. I felt convicted. I needed to go check up on these guys. And they just seemed so disinterested. One of the most poignant stories I've heard is... uh, the life story of a certain athlete. I'm not going to say who this person is or what they did. I can share it with you privately. But there was a certain athlete who was a confessing evangelical and was kind of in the leadership of the evangelical movement. And at what, he was an athlete, and he had to make a decision. And uh, as, as things changed, he came to set the world record in his event. An amazing, amazing thing. I've seen this person perform their activity. And it's beautiful. It's flawless. But within a number of years, he denied Christ. He's become a practical atheist. And so as I considered this this person, as I was studying this section, I prayed that maybe the Lord would have mercy and bring him to his senses and bring him back to Christ. But these are not idle words that we have here. It doesn't mean that when God saves a person, they're not saved, but part of God saving a person is endurance, is persevering to the end. That's the grace of God at work. The grace of God is always alive in some measure. The grace of God will always show itself in good fruit in some measure. Not always perfectly, as we'll see with Moses, but it's always active, and nobody thwarts him Nobody stays his hand. And so we need to understand that these are serious, serious warnings that the writer gives us. And so far we've heard that God has spoken through the prophets and they're binding words. The Old Testament are binding words pointing to Christ. And we heard that Jesus is better than the angels. And the writer, every time he keeps going back to the Old Testament, he keeps going back to the Scriptures... And I'd like for us to pause there because it's so important that we understand that. You know, there's, there's some circles in Christianity, all they want to talk about is the New Testament. And I understand that because I was, that's how I started out in, in the Lord. But we need to know all of the Word. All of the Word points to Christ. All of the Word uh, fills out the picture, the glorious picture that we have of Christ. You can read the New Testament, but you won't... Ex- you won't understand the depth and the the, the the deep beauty of who Christ is if you don't know what went before. And so I, I encourage you, I I encourage you to read the whole scripture. I heard a sermon last week, and the man said he would, if he had the funds, he would buy everybody in the congregation a certain book. And I thought to myself, if I had enough money, I would pay everybody in our presbytery a thousand dollars, particularly the teaching elders if they would read through the Scripture every year and verify it for me. I think it's that important, as I've seen for myself, the fruit, the beauty, the goodness of the Old Testament filling out with flesh more and more who Christ is and what he's done. All the parts of Scripture are there for our salvation, the warnings and the promises. And so there's so many things. I'm still slowly going through the Old Testament, particularly the first five books, and I feel like i, I got to pay attention to the details because something here is telling me of Christ. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is depending on. He keeps going back to the Old Testament. He doesn't make things up. I'm sure all of this was in light of the, the risen Christ and all the pieces started to come together. But the basis, the foundation of what he's telling us, even in our passage today, is the Old Testament. And if you don't read the Old Testament, you'll be truncated in your thinking. You'll be truncated in your view of Christ. And so we need to be there. We need to be in the Old Testament. Is it hard? Some of it is hard. But just like anything else, familiarity helps you to understand. Everybody's in the same boat there. We all need to keep persevering and learning and learning. The other reason it's so important to be in the Word of God is because the Word of God is particularly fit for your faith. It is to overcome your darkness. It is to overcome your doubts. It's to overcome your fears. It's a living document when the Holy Spirit opens it to us. So if you have doubts, bring them under the light of the Word. We we said before that the Scriptures are a light unto our path. And they primarily speak to us of Jesus. And so if you have a doubt or if you have a concern, whatever your questions are, what does the word say? What does the word say? That's what this writer does all the time. He doesn't speculate. He doesn't create. He doesn't get fancy. He goes back to the word and he demonstrates the truth of what he's saying from the Old Testament. So just a An encouragement to be in the word. And take your time if you need to. Go at your own pace, but persevere. Make it a goal that over the next year, you're going to know more of the Old Testament than you knew this year. And I trust the Lord will bless it. You will see these nuggets coming out of the ground. (laughs) Sweet nuggets of Christ. Sweet aspects of Christ. Because they're all embedded there. God made it that way, that Moses was going to talk about the things to come. He would speak of Christ. And so you'll have great confidence and great hope that that God will reveal His Son to you, even in the Old Testament. So this morning, I just want to look at three things under this passage. The overall thought is that simply Jesus Christ is superior to Moses. Moses. Jesus Christ is superior to Moses and we've already seen that Jesus Christ is superior to the prophets and he's superior to the angels. I often think about a fish being in the ocean saying, I'd like to have a drink. (laughs) It's like, what do you mean? You got it all around you. And that's who, that's like Christ. His supremacy is in all things over everything. And that's what this writer is starting to open up to us Today, regarding Moses. So the three points are simply first, Moses' faithfulness, second, Jesus' faithfulness, and finally, our response to Jesus' faithfulness. This is so important. This is one of the things the writer keeps coming back to, is because the other speakers, the other beings are important. All of their actions, all of their words had binding consequences, but the Son has spoken. And we are to pay closer attention because he has spoken the final revelation of God until the Son returns. And so we need to pay attention. So first, let's look at Moses' faithfulness. Verses 2 and 5, the writer is talking about Jesus' faithfulness. And it says, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And then verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. And as I said already, what's the basis of his evaluation? The word of God. The word of God is his evidence that, that uh, Moses was faithful. As we look through here, he, uh, if you look at the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Numbers, there's this sense that keeps coming up over and over again. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses. And you start to, I I start to feel like, wow, I think I get it. (laughs) I think I get it, but it's it's like the Lord drives it home. That the ultimate authority is, is the Lord speaking to Moses. And then at the end of a certain section, we read, according to the commandment of the Lord. The Lord speaks and it says Moses did it or the people did it according to the commandment of the Lord or as the Lord commanded Moses. Over and over and over again. If you look in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, it's all over the place. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, do I get that? (laughs) I need to listen to the Lord, then I need to do what he says. But Moses did this over and over again. Amazing, amazing faithfulness. And if that wasn't enough... In Numbers 12, 5 to 8, we we hear God himself say that Moses was faithful. Aaron and Miriam were rebelling. They they thought they were as good as Moses, that they had the same authority as Moses, and they were sorely mistaken. We've talked about this. Verse 5, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. That's not good news if you're going to, to court, that God was going to make a judgment. And called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, and I, may, and I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God was not pleased. He he heard it, it says, in the previous verses. And he brings them to judgment and said, He has like a, a trial. And he says, He's faithful in all my house. So we can check that off now that he was faithful in all his house. God told us that through his word. He was faithful in all his house. What an amazing, amazing. Word. We all would desire to hear that, particularly at the last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so so you look through the life of Moses, and he did this over and over again. Usually. Usually. Because see, Moses was a man like us. He was not like the Lord Jesus Christ without sin, but Moses was like us, and he had bad days, and he had hard days, and he had trials. And he, he was so faithful. Think about how many people he was leading. But people murmured and complained. This past week, in God's Providence, I did my usual reading list, and I was in numbers. I thought, "Wow, this is interesting. <laughs> it speaks right to the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, turn to, to numbers 11. Numbers 11, 1 through 15. It says this, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and fire, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. I did a fact check. I went back. I don't see anything about these things in the scriptures. Whether they were true or not, it's hard to say, but They were looking back. They were looking back from where the Lord had taken them. And now they had this manna. They had this manna that God would provide all the time for them. As I read that, I thought, how ungrateful. (laughs) They had a meal plan that was never ending for 40 years. It may not have been Ruth Chris, but it was sufficient for them, and they had variety. And I was, I, was, I was humbled by that. I thought, how much do I complain? I feel like I was a better <laughs> follower of Christ sometimes when I was younger than when I was older. I got used to eating certain foods. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to have pizza. I want to have Chinese. Uh, I have something to eat. It goes on. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. I think it's very interesting. You know, in the Lord's prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And I thought the Lord was providing for them the night before. <laughs> If you if you know anything about your own your own ingratitude, I thought, wow, the Lord provided the night before they'd wake up and it's there. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Now Moses is getting agitated. Moses said to the Lord, and these are very striking words. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their, to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. And I, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. The worms of Moses' heart came out. I, I don't know if anybody would want to have a shepherd that said that about, <laughs> about them. But I also know, because I'm a sinner who has leadership of some sort, that I know that those types of thoughts come to me. I I trust by God's grace, not as they did here. But it's amazing that Moses would say that. And the scripture says, he was faithful in all God's house. You know, a few weeks ago we read from, I think it was Peter, one of Peter's epistles about Lot, righteous Lot. And we had just heard I think I read the Old Testament passage and it was about when Lot gives his daughters up to these wicked men. It's like, how could you do this? You're a father. And yet it says righteous Lot. We see this disparity between what they did and the Holy Spirit through the scriptures testifying to their service. How could that be? It's because the blood of Christ. It's because his blood covered all their sins. It's because they were granted his righteousness. They were seen in Christ and not in their their frailty. They made mistakes. They sinned. But they get this amazing, amazing commendation. Lot, that he was a righteous man. And Moses, that he was faithful in all God's house. I recently took Hebrew, Hebrew 1. I just finished up about two Fridays ago. I passed. <laughs> I passed. There's a wide range of what you can pass with. I didn't get 100 on every test, I didn't get 100 on every paper, <laughs> but I passed. Now, I, I, I'd like to get hundreds, that would be great. But we see here with Moses, he didn't get 100. On everything that he did, he didn't get a hundred. And yet, he was faithful in all God's house. And yet, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is there. (laughs) Moses and Elijah, amazing, amazing. Because they were Christ's, and they were seen in Christ's righteousness. We get a sense of the impeccable, impeccable holiness of Christ that comes out in his service, we'll look in a minute, that's attributed to us. There's no way we could ever attain to what was required for us to be the Lord's, to be purchased, to be his children. There's nothing we could do. Nothing, nothing. I looked up this morning. The Washington Monument is 555 feet tall. And in some sense, as we compare us, we might be at the one foot mark. And Moses and others are at the three foot mark. But it's not the 555 foot mark like Jesus is. And that's just trying to understand the difference between Christ's righteousness and his faithfulness in ours. Moses made another big mistake towards the end of his time. He sinned again in um, Numbers 20, uh, 10 to 13. He was told to speak to the rock and water would come forth. But we read this. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. So far it seems okay verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses did not treat God holy He was agitated. He allowed his emotions to overtake him. He didn't calmly go through that trial well. And it cost him entering into the promised land. That promised land, the temporal promised land. He got to see it from afar. But he didn't enter it. And we see the holiness of God, that that God is perfectly holy. And he he never wants us to not think of him in that way. It's an amazing thing that anybody is saved. And it's only through Christ. And it's only a remnant. And it's only because of the righteousness of Christ freely given to us in our stead. And so uh, Moses was an amazing man. He has a wonderful commendation from the Holy Spirit, faithful in all God's house. But we see to his flaws just like us. And I confess, as one who's under authority and over authority, I thought, wow, I know I'm vulnerable to that. As I was reading through that, I felt like the Holy Spirit was forming me, saying, look, you, you do this too, Steve. You've got to be very careful where you, when you go forward. It does, it, we never say truth is not truth but we can't allow our emotions and our feelings to dominate how we respond. So Moses was faithful in all God's house. It is the testimony of Scripture. Those who are in glory will see Moses, see Elijah, see Jesus. But there's Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus' faithfulness, and there is no comparison. There's no comparison. One, One writer has said this, and I'm going to use this, and... I'm just going to summarize it in this way. You can go through the New Testament and look at what Jesus did. The writer to the Hebrews will tell us also. Look what he endured. Look what he faced. Even for fellowship to be broken with his father, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This this man, Philip Edgham Hughes, says this. He collects all these verses from, from the book of John. My teaching is not mine. This is Jesus. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. I have not spoken on my own authority. The Father who sent me has given me commandment, what to say and what to speak. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And then addressing his Father says, I have glorified thee on earth by completing the work which thou gavest me to do. I have made known to them thy name. Jesus was faithful as a servant in the house, but also as a son, and the one who's building the house. If he wasn't faithful, there'd be no house. This room would be empty. But he was was obedient to his last breath. He was faithful to his father with the last breath that he might purchase a people for himself. He endured all these things not easily, not easily. He had to overcome pain and sorrow and sadness all the time. And he did. And he offers offers that to us as his children now. That this is where we get this strength to endure hardship and pain and sadness. It's amazing to think of Christ's flawlessness. No, he wasn't even capable of sinning, but he had to endure it. He had to keep going. On the cross, he's in agony. What does he do? He ministers to the thief who comes to him, who originally had reviled him. Now he's, remember me. He says, you'll be with me in paradise. And he wasn't wasn't feeling great on the cross. Jesus is doing this in the midst of the pain. He entrusts the care of his mother. He he expedites his oldest born responsibility of having somebody take care of his mother. On the cross, as he entreats, he, he entrusts his mother to John. We see it in the high priestly prayer, his faithfulness, his love for his sheep. Unlike Moses, in some sense, we see Moses endeared to the people, but other times not so much. But Jesus bore our wrath for our sin. Jesus gave us his righteousness. He was faithful in all God's house. So we see Moses' faithfulness. We see Jesus' faithfulness. And finally, what is our response to Jesus' faithfulness? This is one of the recurring themes the writer has in the book of Hebrews. And there's really two Two things the writer wants us to look at today. and There'll probably be a second part to this this whole section as we move into four. But the first one is a positive one. Verse 1 in chapter 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider him. Think about him. Meditate on him. Feed on him. I heard a pastor say recently there ought to be, and which is true for every believer, a sanctuary in your heart that nobody can get into that's reserved for Christ and Christ alone. That this is what he's calling us to, to focus on Christ, to, to be uh, reminded of who Christ is, to go deeper, not to be stagnant. And so he'll say this over and again. He'll bring Christ before our eyes. It's interesting when I've talked to people who, are, who have interests like I do in other things, sports or whatever, music, if you start to talk with somebody like that, they get all excited, you know, and you start to bond with them. But see, as God's people, above all things, we're to, we're to think about Jesus. So when we gather with other believers, there's this fire that starts to grow as you're talking with them, as you're sharing with them, as they remind you of who Christ is, as you, as, and vice versa. It's a glorious, glorious privilege until that day when he will appear and we'll see him face to face. So there's a positive calling here and that is to keep thinking about Jesus. I don't know what happened to this athlete that he would forsake Christ. If you have a taste for something, usually it doesn't go away very easily. It may be a sign he was never born again. And what I mean by that is we don't know the end of his story yet. I'm not God. I'm not his judge. But the signs don't look good. And then secondly, we have a negative warning. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That there is a a sense in which our, our hearts are never idle. And the question is, where are you today? Where is your heart today? I think that's what the point of this is. Today, when you consider these things. You see, we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Two weeks ago, I got my initiation into the the Warrington area. I hit my first deer. (laughs) And I got the deluxe version I got fur embedded in my fender. <laughs> and tomorrow morning, I'm taking my car in to get body work done. I consider it very, 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 very light momentary affliction. I know that it could have been worse. My maternal mother's uh, parents were killed in a car wreck in Urbana, Illinois, just like that. We're not promised tomorrow. So today, the warning is today, where are you with Christ? Has your heart flame started to wicker or flicker? Has it, has it diminished? And the question is why? The writer says, don't be deceived by, the, by sin. Sin makes us blind. That's what we want, we want to fight against sin. But as long as it's called today, that means right now. Every day we have to renew that. But right now, you... We don't know if we're all make it home. But this warning is here for us, not to make us despair or despondent, but to awaken us. Where are we? I cannot do the work of the Holy Spirit. No pastor, no, no friend can do the work of the Holy Spirit. But these are His words, and they're His warnings for your good, that you might not perish. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, oftentimes our greatest friends are those who say the hardest things to us. Father, I, I can't imagine any, anyone except for your son Jesus Christ who warned us himself about hell and about the punishment to come than to hear from this writer of the, to the Hebrews. And we ask for your grace, Father, that by your grace we might have a sober estimate of where we are That we might have a sober uh, opinion of who we are right now. Are we in Christ or not? It may be that we are in Christ, but we're we're flagging. And we ask that you would give us strength to overcome. And it may be that some find out, I am not in Christ. And may you have mercy. May this be an awakening to them to not miss the rest that is to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.